Hello and welcome back to the Young Adults Bible Study Podcast. My name is Lindsay and this week we are diving into Romans 2 verse 11 and 16. The last couple weeks we have been definitely being dragged through the mud and we finished off being neck deep. Well, this week I'm going to finish you off and bury you alive in mud because sin is the topic of the day and we all hate sin or at least i hope we do so without further ado let's dive in to the book of romans so we have already been over the immoral person the person that does what they want when they want it and it doesn't matter whose toes they step on they're gonna get their way because they don't care. They just go off and do whatever they want. We would consider these the scum of the earth or the people that we don't like. <laughs> um, but what about the moral people? We talked about that last week too. And we kind of agreed that almost all of us would consider ourselves a moral person. We do things that are right. We have a conscience. We, we are good people. But we also realize that it's not good enough, that we still need more because we are sinful people and without something more, we are just a sinful person. That's about as far as we get. We are just a sinful sack of meat. But this week, this week, we are going to be talking about the Gentile and the Jew. Last week, we finished off with verse 11 reading, For God does not show favoritism. We're all the same in sin. It doesn't matter to what extent you've sinned, or the reason that you sinned, or what the outward perception of who you are is. It's all sin. So isn't that the same with the Jews and the Gentiles? I mean, we talked about the Jews being first in line for the gospel and the reward but also for judgment. The big perception is that the Jews are more important to God. And some ancient rabbis taught that God showed partiality towards the Jews. They said, God will judge the Gentiles with one measure and the Jews with another. One of the common misconceptions is that Abraham would be standing at the gates of hell and anyone that was his descendant would be, he would tell them to turn around and go to heaven. The Jewish people thought that they were safe from judgment. They thought that they were going to heaven because they were descendants of Abraham. But Paul just finished talking about what we do, our actions in relation to what is right. But what about in relation to the law? Because the Jews are under the law and the Gentiles aren't, right? Paul says in verse 12, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Again, that's Romans 2.12. At first glance, it looks like it's just proving what the Gentiles thought. Oh yeah, the, those Gentiles, they're, they're judged in their own way and we're judged in our own way. Just as Paul was comparing the moral person and the non-moral person, he's now comparing both of these people, the Gentiles, with the Jewish person, the person under the law. Paul is saying that no one can escape judgment. 
If you're under the law, you will be judged by the law. And if you are not under the law, meaning the Gentiles, then you will be judged apart from the law. But what does it mean to be judged apart from the law? Because don't you have to have some kind of law in order to be judged? Each person is held to the standards of their own knowledge. And Paul already pointed this out. We already looked at this. God has given every single person enough knowledge to be without excuse. We've seen this when we looked at Romans 1, 18-20. I'm just going to read that again just for a reminder for you guys. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We are all held accountable to what we know. So let's say you have knowledge that someone is cheating on a test. Even if you aren't, are you also held accountable? Some would say no, but in your conscience, wouldn't you say yes? Okay, so what about driving the getaway car for someone robbing a bank? Because I know we've all been in that situation. They're, we're simply driving the car, right? Like, there's nothing illegal about driving the car unless you don't have a license. But I'm allowed to drive a car. I have a license. I, I have a car. It's registered. But they're helping someone who is breaking the law. That They're literally helping. I don't think there's a sane person that wouldn't say that they are helping. They are an accomplice. They have knowledge of what's going on. So if we have the knowledge that something is wrong and do it anyway, isn't that wrong? Paul addresses this in verse 13 saying, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law that will be declared righteous. And that is Romans 2.13. Hearing doesn't do anything for you. It's all about the doing of the law. But isn't that works? Mm, no. When you go to church, you hear the wonderful message of Jesus. You hear it every Sunday. You hear about how great he is. You hear about all these lovely things that you should be doing. You hear about his greatness. But does that save you? No. Going to church and hearing the message doesn't save you. You have to do something about it. What about reading your Bible? You mark it all up and have a color coding system and you read every single book in that Bible and you read every single day for at least an hour, sometimes two. Does that save you? No! It's about what we do with what we know. It's not works to have to do something with your knowledge. If we know what we must do and don't do it, that's not enough. Of course, the question of what about the people groups that have never heard of Jesus or the Bible? Are they still held accountable? 
Well, yeah, they are. They are still held accountable. Even if someone has never seen a Bible in their entire lives, ever, they have never heard of it, they've never seen it, they still have what is right and what is wrong written on their hearts. That's what happened when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 2.17. We as humans gained that knowledge. So even though people may break what we consider the law in the Bible, people also go against their own standards that's th- that their conscience has. In today's society, the idea of right and wrong has definitely been blurred, but people still go against their own standard of what is right that they created for themselves. So if you can't even go, if you can't even hold yourself up to your own standard, how can you hold yourself up to God's standard? Paul speaks directly to this in the next two verses in Romans. He says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciousness also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. That is Romans 2, 14 and 15. We have to remember that Paul was dictating this when he was writing it down. It, it wasn't him with a little pen writing it down. And he wasn't at his computer copy and pasting and editing and revising his letter. Paul sometimes added things into his main thoughts to add context or clarity. This is why Romans 2, 14 and 15 are in parentheses. He's explaining a little bit more in detail about how the Gentiles do not have the law of the Bible and how they can be judged. It's just what we talked about. Paul explains their conscience is enough to give them over to judgment. Written in their hearts. What does this mean? A lot of authors in Paul's day referred to this as the unwritten law within man. They thought of this unwritten law as something that pointed people in the right direction kind of like a moral compass or what we know as a moral compass. Although it wasn't written down and confined to words on a piece of paper or a rock or tablets, it is in some way more important than the written law in those days. And honestly, even in these days. So when you look at written in their hearts, it refers to that moral compass or their conscience. They are a law for themselves. So what does that mean? This doesn't mean that these Gentiles made up their own law and they could do as they please according to this law that they made up. But it means that they were obedient to their conscience. It means that they focused on their conscience and they used their conscience as a law. It's a living law in each of them. It's a living law in each of us. Paul is basically saying that you can't play dumb and say, Well, I didn't know, because we each have a conscience. Although we each have a conscience, we all know and understand that we have different levels of conscience. Our conscience can become damaged through sin and rebellion, but then it can be restored in Jesus. The last verse in this part of Romans chapter 2 says, 
This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Romans 2.16 On the day of judgment, no one will be able to escape God's judgment by claiming, Well, I don't know. I, I had no idea that that was wrong. Going against God's internal revelation, or as we've been calling it, our conscience, is enough to condemn us all. We all have a level of knowing right and wrong, and we can't even hit our own standards. But it is not just God condemning people as the Jews thought. We will have judgment through Jesus Christ, which makes us distinctly Christian. This isn't, this isn't something that the Jews came up with. People used to think that it would only be God the Father that judged the world on his own. But we are judged through Jesus. This is why when we become Christians, we take on Jesus' righteousness. God the Father no longer sees us, but his Son. The same goes for the opposite, though. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you are judged all on your own through Jesus. You don't have him. Therefore, God cannot see him in you. Paul is so sure of these things that he goes on to say, My gospel. As Paul's gospel declares. This is not saying that Paul made it up. Because I know when I first read this, I was like, So, Paul Paul made up this gospel? I, I don't understand. Now I'm really confused. But this is saying that it's his gospel. Kind of like a soldier would say, this is my flag. It's not actually his flag. It's not even the country's flag. It's literally a flag. But he is so proud of the gospel that he takes it on as his own. If he did the gospel wrong, it would be a personal defeat, not just on a bigger plane. He will serve this truth to his death, just as a soldier would serve his country to the death. So we see that the immoral person will be judged just as the moral. We also see that the Gentile is also judged just as the Jew, and the Jew is judged just as the Gentile. No matter how you slice it, the saying, the ground is level at the base of the cross, is extremely true. No one has an advantage or a disadvantage apart from Christ. We are all sinners with absolutely no chance. See? I told you this week we'd be covering us with mud. It seems like there's no escape. It's just a vicious cycle of sin and never being good enough. For most people, we have an extremely high standard that we set for ourselves, let alone the standard that God has set for us, which is perfection. It's no wonder that some people go into extreme depression when they are trying to do everything right. The more you try to do right, the more it seems you do everything wrong. It's a constant cycle of trying and failing and never living up to where we want to be. We try harder and harder to do it on our own, but we can't. We are broken and we are stubborn and we want to do what we want, what feels good. We don't want to admit it, but we crave what is wrong sometimes. This is where we get what I like to call a sin issue. It's definitely not a technical term or even really a biblical term, but it's that one sin that you cannot seem to get rid of in your life no matter how hard you try. No matter how hard you might cry and fight. For some people, it's lying. For others, it's cheating. For some, it's lust. For others, it's porn. 
Some people get drunk, do drugs, steal, hurt people, have anger issues. And for some, it's prideful thinking. Thinking they don't have a sin issue and become proud in that. Thinking it's their own will and power that has saved them from that. Sometimes we compare ourselves and say, I'm so glad I don't drink. If I started, I probably wouldn't be able to stop. I'm so glad that I don't have that addiction. But then they watch porn every day in the closet. We have to start looking at our sin for what it is. And we have to start looking at it as this pattern of humanity. We cannot continue to beat ourselves up every single time we fail. We have to give it over to God. But we can't focus on it. And we can't try to do it all by ourselves without God. We need to start looking at God instead of at our sin. Let's take riding a bicycle, for example. Where do you look? I would really hope that you look at the road and not at the ditch or at your front tire. You go towards what you focus on. Because I know if I'm riding that bicycle and I'm looking at the ditch, I am going towards the ditch. If I am staring at that tree, that squirrel in that tree, I'm going to start going towards it. I hope that I don't hit it, but you might. If I look at that front tire, I don't know what's ahead of me. I have no idea what's there. I could hit a car. I always wonder how people hit cars, but I'm pretty sure that that's how it happens. You go towards what you focus on. I took my motorcycle course a couple summers ago, and that was the number one thing that they drilled into our heads for the slow maneuvers. When you were going slow on a motorcycle and you have to do really slow turns, if you do not look where you're going, you will fall and not make the turn and hit something. You have to look where you want to go. What about when you walk? What happens if you're running and you're staring at your feet? I have never seen an Olympic runner staring at their feet. Where do they look? They look at that finished thine. They look in front of them. You'll either trip because you're focusing too hard on the wrong thing, or you'll go in circles because you don't know where you're going. If you keep looking at sin and staring at your sin, where do you think you're going to go? You're just going to keep going towards your sin. You're going to stay in that vicious cycle. If you keep focusing on what you're doing wrong, what happens? Those days that you just have a really, really bad day and you continue focusing on all of the bad things in your day, do you start having a good day? No, you, you continue having the worst day of your life and it continues to get worse. If you start your day by waking up and forgetting to do something. Say you forgot your phone at home. All of a sudden, all day you're going to be forgetting things and things are just going to keep going wrong. Or what about those that day that you're late for work? Every single thing is going to go wrong. Like it's, it's just one of those things that happen. Or if you grab your coffee in the morning and you spill it, all of a sudden, that's what's going to happen all day because you're focusing on it. You're focusing on not messing up anymore. You're focusing on how bad your day is. And the more you focus on how bad your day is, the worse it's going to get. But that's the same with your sin. If you focus on your sin and how bad your sin is, oh man, I'm so deep in sin. I messed up every single time the day this week. I even messed up like four times today. Well then, yeah, you're going to continue to sin because that's all you're doing is staring at your sin. If I stare at candy all day, 
I kind of want candy all day. Or if I stare at pizza all day. If every single person around me has pizza and I'm like, mm, I don't, I, I'm trying to be on a diet. <laughs> I'm going to want pizza that much more. And I'm probably going to give into that pizza if it's around me all day. So what do you do? You move out of the room so you don't have to stare at the stupid pizza. You move that candy bowl so you don't have to look at the candy bowl. You start focusing on the good things of your day instead of the bad things of your day. And when it comes to sin, you start focusing on God. You start focusing on who he is and how great he is and how amazing he is and how incredible he is. Instead of focusing on yourself and being selfish. Because that's what it is. When you start focusing only on yourself and only on your sin, you are being so extremely selfish because if you were focusing on God, you'd be able to do something for him and for his kingdom. But when you're focusing on you, all you're doing is trying to help yourself. You're trying to get yourself out of this rut. But no, God's going to be the one that gets you out of this rut, not you. You cannot do it on your own. You think you can. And there are times where, where you kind of can. Maybe you go a week without doing that sin. Maybe you go one week without lying. Maybe you go one week without cheating. Maybe you go one week without pornography. But what happens? You start, you start focusing on it. You start getting prideful. You start being, oh, I went a full week. I'm so, oh, that's awesome. That's good. But what happens when you start doing that? You slip and you fall. You trip hard. There is that log there and you face planted. And it's awful and it hurts and you feel awful afterwards. But why? Why did that happen? Because you start focusing on it. You start, start hyper-focusing on it almost. You start forgetting that God helped you. You stop forgetting that God is the one who got you through this. You, you stop giving thanks to him. That is the number one thing that you need to do. Every time you think about that sin, you give it over to God. You be like, God, please, please take this thought out of my head. Do not wait until you are to the point that you are going to sin. Do not wait that until you're at that point where you are crying because, oh, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do this, but I want to so bad. I don't want to want this. Don't wait until you are at that moment. You have to ask God for help every single time that thought comes into your head. Even if it's like a, yeah, I'm doing good. Pray for it. You have to pray for it. Because God is the only one that can relieve us from our sin. Where do you go? What, what? If you're looking at sin, where do you go? If you're looking in the ditch, where do you go? If you look at that finish line, where do you go? If you look at God, where do you go? You start getting into better situations and in a better mind frame that isn't in a pit of sin. When you focus on God, you're moving forward. When you sit there staring at your sin, you are going to stumble over your sin every single time. Start focusing on God. I'm not saying that you can't you can't focus on your sin for a little bit because right in that act or right afterwards you you have to repent you have to ask for forgiveness you do have to do something about it of course you do but then 
it's over. Poof, it's gone. If you ask for forgiveness, God forgave you. You don't have to focus on it anymore. You don't have to sit there and stare at your sin and be like, and you don't have to feel guilty because it is forgiven. It is gone. You have to focus on God and who he is. And I know this is a little bit of a ramble, but this is something that I struggle with so hard. When I sin, I stare at it. I stare at it and stare at it and stare at it and I fall and I fail. I am in the middle of dealing with my sin issue right now. And by middle, I mean I'm not even started. I need God. I need God to help me through this. I need God to help me out in this. And this is something that's incredibly on my heart right now. Because we need God. So what are some of those things that we can do to get ourselves out of that and start focusing on God? Stop focusing on ourselves. Well, one of the biggest things for me is reading my Bible. Did you know that people who read their Bible four times a week for half an hour are very much so less likely to fall into pornography addiction? You are significantly less. I think it's like 25% less. You are so much less likely if you read your Bible four times a week. And that's not even every day. What happens if you read your Bible every day? Or if you have a habit of lying with this one specific person, is it really worth it to hang out with that person? If you are going to be going against God every time you hang out with that person, is it worth it? Is it actually worth it? I very strongly encourage you to look at that relationship and ask yourself if it is. Or if you have a group of friends that take you partying every weekend and they're starting to introduce you to drugs or starting to introduce you to alcohol or getting drunk or maybe not even introducing, it's just pulling you in. Uh, it starts out with being the DD and then it's and then you get pulled in that little bit further and then you start having a couple drinks and it's fine and then you start getting drunk and then it starts becoming more and more and more. And then all of a sudden, our conscience starts getting suppressed. And it's like, "Eh, it's not that bad. There's other people worse than me. But we already discussed this, didn't we? We already discussed the moral person and the immoral person. Eh, there's worse people than me. Yeah, there might be, but it's still sin. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's still sin. Every single person has sin that they are dealing with. And the person that's listening to this, I know that you do too. It might not be an addiction. It might not be something that you think is a big deal. But in God's eyes, it is. Sin is mucky. Sin is gross. Sin is hard. Sin is awful. And it's hard to get out of. Like last week, it's it's like tar. It sticks on everything and it refuses to move unless you got Jesus. That's it, that's where it comes back to every single time is that we need Jesus. If there's no hope for us, why do we need Jesus? If we're just sinful people and we're just going to continue sinning even with Jesus, then what's the point of him? Well, the point of him is that we truly 100% believe that he is our savior 
but it's not it's it's more than that it's not that oh he can save me he can save me and i can go to heaven it's about believing him and and knowing who he is to the point that that doesn't even matter to us we care more about other people than ourselves we want other people to be saved yeah of course you're saved in the process or at least i'd hope so because you can definitely speak truth without knowing the truth but i do truly hope that you know the truth and i hope that you're saved i hope that you can invite him into your life and allow him to be a huge part of it because without jesus you are nothing i was nothing i walked away from my faith for 10 years I chose to party, I chose to have sex, I chose to watch porn, I chose drugs, I chose to lie, and I chose to cheat. I chose everything but God. And then finally, when my ex-fiance was too far in his drug addiction, I had to kick him out onto the streets. And then he was going to be going to Teen Challenge. I don't know if Teen Challenge is in the States. I I think it is. But it's a one-year-long program, Christian program for addictions. And he never ended up going, but that's when I realized that I needed to turn my heart around because I didn't want him coming out a better Christian than I was. Because I still considered myself a Christian, even when I wasn't, I considered myself one. I thought I was. But I wasn't focusing on God. I wasn't focusing on Jesus. I wasn't focusing on anything but me. And when you start focusing on yourself, you fall. And there is nothing. You feel like you have everything. You feel like you're allowed to do whatever you want. You feel free. But I did not feel real freedom until I came to Christ. When I found Jesus, when I truly found Jesus, that is when I knew true freedom. Because I didn't have to sin anymore. I didn't have to feel that guilt every single day. I didn't have to feel like the entire world was on my shoulders because it wasn't anymore. I gave it over to him. I gave it over to him. And I hope and pray that you do too. It's a constant struggle. I constantly fight with my old self. There are habits from when I wasn't a Christian that I fight through every single day. But I'm working on it, and I hope that you're working on it too. Even if you were born and raised in a Christian home, we still find ways to go against God. We still find small ways of rebellion. Even if it's that white lie every once in a while. Or pridefulness. It's there. So I pray so hard for you guys. Thank you so much for 
hanging with me in this today's podcast. I know that the end of it was a ramble, but it was a predicted ramble. I knew it was coming. Next week, we will be focusing on Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24. And I'm really excited to dive into that with you guys. We are almost to the good stuff. We are almost back to Jesus. We are almost there. Just hang with me for a little bit longer and I promise you, I promise you, it will get better. We will get out of this mud. We will get out of the sin. Because sin talk is, well, we're focusing on it. We're focusing on sin and I am very much looking forward to not focusing on it anymore. But sometimes we have to learn what sin is. We have to learn what it is in our lives in order to not focus on it. Because when you don't know what it is, when you don't understand what it is in your life, sometimes it's easier to focus on it. So thank you guys again so much for listening. Um, If you guys want to reach out to me or message me, you can do so at youngadultsbiblestudy.pc at gmail.com. I check my emails every day. So far, I still only got the one. So I would be very thankful if someone wanted to reach out and just say where you're from and where you're listening from and uh, maybe a little bit about you and a little bit about your testimony. That'd be really, really cool. I love learning about who you guys are and seeing who is listening to the podcast and seeing where I should be directing it and what I should be focusing on more because I I do really want this to be something that you guys get something out of. I guess if you're listening, you are getting something out of it, but I hope you know what I mean. I would love to have it a little bit more customized to you guys. Um, thank you again so much for listening to my ramble. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. We will see you next week. Bye for now.